Man, you guys can have a seat. Uh, good morning and, and welcome again. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Daniel Ernest. I'm the executive pastor here, and uh, it's a pleasure to get to open up God's Word and to preach to you from it today. Uh, we're going to be continuing on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so if you would please, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 12 through 30, and as Wes kind of previewed last week, this is going to be a continuation of his sermon. Uh, Paul is writing, if you remember, uh, pretty much this entire letter. Paul has been dealing with different divisions in the church. And in chapter 12, Paul is going to begin to, or he's already begun to, address divisions in the church related to spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And and that's because some people in the church in Corinth were claiming, uh, they were saying that to be a really spiritual person, to to, to be a, a mature Christian, you had to possess, you had to exercise certain gifts. Okay, certain gifts, and really, those gifts were the more uh, public. They were the more sort of spectacular gifts. Mostly, it was, it was speaking in, in tongues. And if you weren't gifted in, in that way, well, you were JV. You had a, a lower status. And so, before uh, addressing tongues specifically, we're going we're gonna to cover that in chapter 14. Paul begins, he started this last week, he's talking about unity and diversity. Okay, unity and diversity. And in our text today, he's going to continue along those lines by appealing to a, a new image. He's going to bring out a, a new illustration. And again, remember, at least here at the beginning, right now, his point is to correct, it's to challenge the divisiveness in the church over spiritual gifts. Okay, so, so the ground set there. Let's look at chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to start just by reading verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12, verse, thir- verse 12, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay, so, so right off the bat, and this is going to continue on for, for quite a bit, the new image that Paul is going to use to talk about the church is the body. Okay, it's, it's the body. And he's going to use this image to demonstrate, like I said earlier, unity amidst diversity. And really, it's also going to be diversity amidst unity. That's how he started verse 12. He says, the body is one, but it's many. And then he said, it's many, but it's one. And I want you to notice, he does something interesting. It may be even a little unexpected here, at least to me. At the end of verse 12, remember, he's, he's talking about the church here. Look, look at the back half of verse 12. He says, the members of the body, though many, are one body. And pay attention here, he says, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. Now, let me explain to you why that sticks out to me. Okay, what you're expecting, what, what I'm sort of anticipating for Paul to say here at the end is, so it is with the church. So it is with, with the church, right? Like This is a section, a metaphor about the church. That's what he should say. But it's not. It's not. He says, so it is with Christ, with Christ. Why does he say it this way? 
point here, and I think he gets straight to it. The metaphor is pointing to something more fundamental, to, to something more real. It's the foundation of everything he said before. It's going to be the foundation of everything he's going to say. Here it is. When we become Christians, we're not simply uh, joining a club, or we're not just like identifying with a side, putting our flag in the yard. No, when we become Christians, we become united with Jesus. We become one with Him. And as a result, when this happens, we become united to every other Christian. To, to every person who's united with Christ, whether you feel it, whether you, you see it, whether you experience it, no matter what, because of the gospel, there is a profound unity that exists between every single Christian in this room. And that's because every single believer is united to Jesus. And that's the po po point that Paul is making in verse 13. Okay, he's made consistent references. Sometimes they've been oblique and sometimes they've been direct to baptism and communion over the last couple of chapters. And in verse 13, he, he uses this same language to drive this point home. He's saying to be a Christian is to be infinitely and profoundly, supernaturally connected by the Holy Spirit to Jesus himself. It's to be united with Jesus. And he goes even further. He, he says, as a result, because of this, because we're connected to Jesus, we are perfectly connected to each other, regardless of ethnicity or, or class or social status. Paul says Jew or Gentile, slave or, or free. It's not that these categories don't exist anymore. These distinctions aren't erased. No, instead, they're just subordinated. They're, they're less important we, we have a, a more primary identity as sons and daughters of the king. And for us, y'all, this matters so much. Our, our culture today is trying to divide and differentiate us in all sorts of different ways. But Paul looks at us, the church today, he says, no. No, you and me, we are one. As, as Christians in Jesus, by the Spirit, we are united to each other, regardless of what we look like, regardless of what gender we are. We are united, and, and more profoundly, we actually have unity through the life, death, resurrection, and Jesus, which means it's been given to us already. It's something that we already possess. It's already ours. Unity is not something that we have to try to grasp to, try to attain for. No, God has already given it to us on the cross. It's something that Jesus' blood purchased for us. And for us, this means, and this is Paul's intention here, the implication is that to live in disharmony, to, to, to allow division from out there to, to, to work its way into the church, to, to allow differences, distinctions of any sort, to allow these things to separate us or fracture us or divide us. When we do this, what we're doing is we're contradicting a fundamental spiritual reality about who we are individually and collectively in Jesus. And the other thing we're doing is we're minimizing, we're, we're diminishing what Jesus actually did for all of us on the cross. 
So so Paul's initial point here is that Christians possess a, a fundamental unity with one another. It's something that we've been given. But also... It's something we have to strive to maintain, to to, to steward. It's a gift we've been given that we have to steward. And as part of that, in verses 14 through 26, Paul's going to get a little bit more specific here. These are going to be the other rumble strips from last week if you were here. He's going to address two common issues. Really, he's going to tackle two related attitudes in the church. These are dispositions concerning spiritual gifts that can inhibit our unity. The first comes in verses 14 through 20. Paul's going to continue with the image of the body. He says this. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Okay, just just off the top here. Like this is clearly supposed to be a, a little funny. It's slightly absurd, right? Paul wants us to read this. He wants the church in Corinth to read this and smile, even laugh a little bit about how silly his metaphor is. The point he's making is that when we think this way, when we have this attitude, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Paul says, just because you wish you were something else, that doesn't eliminate your inclusion. Really, that doesn't eliminate your participation in the body. He says in verses 15 and 16, Just because the foot wants to be a hand or or the ear wants to be an eye, just because they're discontent with what they are, that doesn't make them any less a part of the body. They're they're still there. And then Paul kind of pushes the absurdity a bit further in verse 17. He says, what if the whole body were an eye? What if it were an ear? Like, picture that in your mind. That's... (laughs) A bit bizarre, right? It's a little freakish. The point is, we can't all be the same thing. There's a need for diversity. There has to be a variety of gifts. Like Paul says in verse 19, if we were all the same thing, where would the body be? Combining these things, the idea here is that you can't just remove yourself from church because you wish you had different gifts. Okay, as, as an example of that, meaning if your gift is administration, helping to organize and systematize, but you really wish you were a teacher, you wish you were kind of uh, up front, what you can't do is you can't decide to just sort of pout in the corner. Why? Because the church needs administrators. The church needs to be focused and to stay on task. You're depriving the body of the sense of hearing or, or smell if you don't use your gift. And that's really what Paul is trying to say here. Well, whatever your gift is, and there's a couple of different lists in the Bible, by the way, here in 1 Corinthians 12, also in Romans 12, regardless, whatever your gifts are, they're essential. They're they're needed. It has to be there. They have to be there for the body to operate. 
The, the body only functions when all the parts are working together, no matter how insignificant or small we may think they are. And, and big picture, when we think of ourselves like this, like we don't matter, like we'd rather be someone else, that we wish we had different gifts, that there were other ways for us to contribute, we're missing the point. We're missing the point. Look at verse 18. Thinking this way is not just wrong. Actually, it's, it's, it's sinful. Paul says, it's God that arranged the members, each one of them, as he chose. Okay, in the end, and Wes said this last week, God is sovereign when it comes to spiritual gifts. God is the one who, who dictates, who arranges our role in the body. It, it's not up to us. And so when we complain, when we compare, when, when we get jealous, we're not just rendering ourselves ineffective, taking ourselves out of the game. What we're really doing at the root, fundamentally, is not trusting God. We're questioning His goodness, His, His wisdom. We're accusing Him of not knowing what He's doing, of, of, of making us the wrong way, putting us in the wrong spot. And that's not a good place to be. So, how do we avoid doing this? Okay, first, and, and this is, maybe goes without saying, but, but you sort of have to know what your gifts are. You have to know what your spiritual gifts are. That's why we spend so much time in growth group going over these. And by the way, what we do at the end of growth group is great. But it's not even the best way to discover your gifts. It's good for people to look at you and to affirm gifts that they might have seen in you. It's certainly better, by the way, than like, uh, like, like quizzes you can take online. You know, like uh, the ones where you figure out which Harry Potter character you are. Uh, no big deal. I'm Harry uh, on those quizzes. <laughs> it just always comes out that way. I don't know how, but it's just the way it comes out. Now, the best way to discover your gifts is to actually serve in the church, to see where you excel, to see where you feel most comfortable, to see, really, where you experience God's pleasure most. And then, once you know what your gifts are, we're called to actually use them. We're called to actually participate. And so, you don't get to choose what your gifts are. And in fact, as you look around... There are going to be people that are more and less gifted than you. That's, that's built in. This is not some sort of like equity sermon where everyone is gifted in the same ways. We're just, we're just not. But that's also not our responsibility. That's, that's God's. Our responsibility, our role in this is one of stewardship. Okay, it's one of stewardship. God distributes as he pleases, as he chooses, and it's up to us to steward what God has given to us. And this is an aside, but I think it's important to say this here. Okay? Gifts aren't like superpowers. Like, life isn't a Marvel movie, okay, where we all have some sort of flashy way to contribute in beating the bad guys. I, I'm not meaning when I say that to diminish spiritual gifts. They are supernatural, they are given by the Spirit. But the reality is, just usually, they play out in some sort of mundane, unexciting way. There's only one guy that gets up here and preaches every week. For the most part, spiritual gifts are manifested in doing things like holding a baby during the service so that 
parents can come and worship. It's taking the trash out at a church-wide event. It's helping behind the scenes by, by, by praying or organizing or by encouraging. Utilizing spiritual gifts. Like I said, it's, it's not like a movie. It's, it's not all glitz and glam. But each gift, this is what Paul is saying. Each gift is important. It's vital. We need everyone. We need every gift, even the ones that go unrecognized, even the ones that aren't celebrated. We need every single one of them for this church, Grace Bible Church in Houston, Texas, to function properly. We need you all to be using your gifts to accurately reflect God in our church and in our community. Okay, so if you're a Christian here and you struggle thinking that you've got nothing to contribute, thinking your, your, your participation doesn't matter as much as other people's. You think, oh, I'll never be the guy up on stage. Or, or you think, man, I, I wish they'd asked me to do that. Or you could think, GBC doesn't need me. I've got nothing to contribute. There, there are enough people serving here. I've just become a Christian. Maybe you think, I'm too old for this church. I don't fit in here. Or, I'm a mom, and there's nothing left in the tank at the end of the day. Maybe it's, I work a ton. I'll, I'll get to serving the church later when I'm more established in my career. Paul's message to you, if you've ever thought that, if you're thinking any of those things right now, Paul's message is that you are included and you are necessary. You're necessary. And I want you to hear this. Collectively, we won't be, GBC cannot be what God intended until all of you are participating. So, if the problem from this section has to do with how we're sometimes tempted to think of ourselves wrongly, the second has to do with how we wrongly are tempted somehow to think of others. Look at verses 21 through 26 with me. Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Okay, so at the opposite extreme of what we just talked about, the idea of saying to yourself, I I'm not needed. Oh, on the other end are people that are looking out and saying, I don't need you. I don't need you. Uh, apparently, there were church members in Corinth, the people likely given the context here, he had the, the fancy, showy, public gifts. Some of these people were assuming that they didn't need other people, the other Christians in the body. They were fine on their own. After all, a superstar doesn't need help 
He just needs spectators to watch. But this attitude, this individualistic superiority, it has no place in the church. And Paul addresses it. He says, again, look at the body. He says, in the body, some parts are covered up. They, they, they need special attention. They're, they're unpresentable. But to use Paul's words, they're also indispensable. We have to have them. And so his correction here is instead of overlooking them, dismissing them, thinking that you don't need them, what he says is show them more honor. Go, go out of your way to care for them. So if you are the sort of person who is gifted, you have maybe a more public ministry, you've got one of the speaking gifts, or, or you're a natural leader, Paul's message here to you is you're not the one who needs special care. You're not the one that needs to be propped up, to be lauded and praised. No, it's, it's the so-called unpresentable parts that do. Paul says in verse 22, like I said, they're indispensable. They're, they're, they're vital for the good functioning and health of the body. And y'all, I want to point out to you, there are people in our congregation whose vital, indispensable ministries go largely unnoticed. Okay, this, this might be you. There's older women who gather to pray for the church every single week. There's, there's quiet encouragers who speak or send messages in periods of needs. There's, there's servant-hearted doers who always seem to be around helping someone with something. I mentioned this earlier, but there's, there's dutiful administrators who, who, who keep things organized, even in your own small groups. Look, our culture privileges the extrovert, the, 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 the big personality. But as Christians, we need to ensure that we provide extra care toward the vital, vital ministries of these folks and so many others in our church. As Paul puts it, we're to show greater honors to those who, like, who lack it. And that, by the way, is a gospel paradigm, right? Jesus comes not as a conquering king. He comes as a baby, born a carpenter's son. He, he dies on a cross. It's upside down. But that is God's paradigm. So the ones who, who lack honor, we're to show them honor. And Paul continues to correct this mistake in the same way that he did earlier. The antidote, the, the, the solution to both errors, thinking I'm not needed or I don't need you, it's the same. Look at, look at verse 24. Once again, Paul points out the sovereignty of God in ordering the body. He says that's the way God built it. Look at 24. He says, God so composed, composed the body. That word composed is really neat, y'all. It, it's, it's an artistic term. It's, it's, a, it's a word used for the, the mixing of colors. Really, it's, it's, it's the mixing, the, the harmonious mixing uh, or blending of paints. And listen, I think this is so cool. God not only chooses your spiritual gifts as an individual, but also he mixes you in with the right people. And he does so that the right combination would work in the right location. Isn't that awesome? If you've ever thought, or if anyone's ever asked you, why do you go to Grace Bible Church? The answer, the right answer, 
is because God mixed you in here. God mixed you in here. Has this sunk in yet? Do you get it? No Christian is unnecessary or unneeded. If you are here, if you belong to this church, you are part of a God-ordained mix, and we need each other. Whether you're a hand or an eye or a foot or a hand or a head, we can't do it without each other. And thinking this way, that everyone has a role to play, what it does is it should lead, Paul says in verse 25, it should lead to no divisions. It leads us to unity. Unity that expresses itself, like Paul says in verse 26, unity that expresses itself in suffering and rejoicing together. That's how it's supposed to be in the church. When when one person legitimately suffers, we're all to grieve alongside of them. When, when, When one person is significantly or legitimately honored, we're to rejoice in what is being blessed. So Paul's saying, We have to fight these dual feelings, inferiority, superiority, they're sinful. He says we have to fight them by trusting in God, trusting that you have the exact gift or gifts that he wants you to have. Trust that he's placed you exactly where he wants you. And and don't you see that there's purpose in that? Don't you see that there's dignity in that? Even more, don't you see how that erases rivalry, dissension, division? Paul's going to cap us off in verse 27 through 30 by basically doing what he's already done before. And and, and just as a note here, I'm not going to read through verse 31 because Wes and I both decided this week we think it goes with next week's sermon. So it's going to cut off at an awkward point, but I promise you we're going to get to it. I want you to look at verse 27 again. I'm going to read through verse 30. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Okay. Verses 28 through 30. What Paul is doing here is he's rhetorically pointing out the things that he's already established. He's bringing the body metaphor down to the ground. He's saying, look, there's a variety of offices and gifts, but all of us are not going to possess each one of them. There's a diversity and giftedness that we have to accept. It's by design. And I want to focus in on on verse 27 to close this thing out. It's like, like the fifth time that Paul has said this very same thing. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Okay, this is how we opened up, where I started. There's there's unity, y'all are the body, and there's diversity. Y'all are individual members of it. Now, you didn't think I was going to go this whole sermon talking about a group moving toward a common goal individuals knowing their role, executing in their role, you didn't think that I was going to talk about all of these things and not talk about the world champion Houston Astros. 
And look, if you don't know what I'm about to talk about, you might need to repent. Uh, actually, you might need to find a different church. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is a sermon about unity, okay? I'm, seriously, I'm kidding. But, but my, you might. It's, there's lots of churches here. Uh, anyways, <laughs> why are the Astros so good? Why have the Astros been so consistently great? Isn't it because the guys on the team, they know their roles, Chaz McCormick isn't getting up to the plate trying to be Jordan Alvarez. But do you think Jordan could have caught that ball in game five? Martin Maldonado, he knows he's not getting a hit off Zach Wheeler, okay? Like, like I've got about as good a chance as him at getting a hit. He knows he's not Jose Altuve, so, so, so he crowds the plate, right? He, he gets on base any way possible to get us back to the top of the order. And, and I know that this is silly, but I'm being serious. This is exactly how the church should operate. This is exactly how the church should operate. We're a, a, a team. We each have different roles. And in a lot of ways, by the way, we each have different gifts. Some of you are Chaz and some of you are Jordan. But it doesn't do any good for us if we're on the team and we're jealous for something that somebody else has. It does no good to think that you can't contribute on this team. We have different roles, and everyone needs to contribute. If you think in the first way, that'd be like putting on the uniform, going out and staying on the field and just doing nothing. Like, that would be stupid in the game, but in Christianity, in, in, in our life in Christ, that's actually sinful to not participate. On the other hand, it's ridiculous to think that you're so good that you're God's gift to Christianity, that you don't need anyone else. That'd be like having one guy out on the field and trying to win on his own. Like, it's not going to go well. So as we leave today, I want you to evaluate. I want you to really consider, are you participating? Are, are you contributing in a way that only you can contribute to this church? Are you using your gifts to build up the body? It's so important for you to answer those questions affirmatively. Not just for you, for, for your own spiritual health, but for the church, for, for, for all of us, for the people sitting to your left and to your right, for, for our mutual edification, for our unity. We will never achieve what God intends for us until we're all committed to executing our unique roles with the gifts that God has so generously given to us. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm thankful, Lord, that you are a God that's worthy of our worship, Lord, that you would uh, see fit to allow us to even bring honor to your name, to, to have the opportunity to glorify you. Lord, even more, uh, we're in awe, Lord. I, I'm so grateful that you've uh, enabled us through your spirit to have gifts that allow us to contribute to, uh, Lord, revealing your kingdom in this world. So I pray for each one of our friends, I pr uh, my friends here, and I pray for myself. Lord, I, I pray that you would enable us not just to know what our gifts are, but, uh, Lord, that we would be bold in uh, taking advantage of opportunities we have to serve and to use those gifts. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that as we do, we would experience uh, not just your present Lord, presence, Lord, individually, but 
that corporately, uh, Lord, we would be united. There would be a unity in us that would be, uh, Lord, just a consternation for the world to view. Uh, Lord, we need your spirit to enable us in all these things, so we pray that he would. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.